Well, welcome. Um, we are excited to be joining you for the first ever Purple Hats Conference. Before we get started on our session covering our journey to threat informed defense, I'd like our panel to introduce themselves and I'll start. I'm Marlis Rogers and I'm Chief Information Security Officer and Head of Technology Oversight at CSA Insurance Group, which is part of the AAA Federation. And I've been with the company for two years. Hello, my name is Brian Kindred and I oversee the strategy and threat management space within cybersecurity which is a combination of both the offensive security team and the defensive security team. And I've been with the organization now for about uh, four and a half years. Hi, I'm Michael McCurry. I'm the manager for the application security group here at CSA. And I've been with the organization for about a year and a half. And I'm Randa Moore and I lead the cyber defense team. And while I'm new to this role, I've been with the company for about 14 years. Well, now that you know who we are, how about we talk a little bit about how our session is going to flow today. And it's a little fireside chat, little panel discussion, um, but it's really meant to be an interactive discussion amongst the leaders from our security organization. And I'll be here to facilitate an active conversation about our journey and really with the team bringing all of this to life. Before we get started through kind of the Q&A and active conversation, I want to frame this up a little bit with some of our background. So, as I mentioned, I joined the company about two years ago, and when I joined the company, it was a smaller team, smaller budget, and the first two things that were immediately clear to me in my initial assessment were, first of all, number one, great work had been done, but there was just not enough to get to the right level of protection the company needed. And the second was, I felt extremely lucky to have a really great set of talented people to start the next phase of work. The team was fantastic and they were ready to jump in with both feet. So with those two kind of strengths in mind coming into this and, and thinking about the talent, thinking about the fact that good work had been done, but we had to do a lot more, um, I thought it was really important that we performed an independent assessment of our program. And so and doing the independent assessment, I really wanted to make sure that we had something that was sort of our foundation, looking at, you know, where were we in terms of, let's say, a scorecard. And what we ended up developing with an external partner was a maturity scorecard. And what that did is it provided not only the sort of independent and objective kind of measure of where we were, but it also gave us a very detailed view across our cyber domains about where we needed to build out our capabilities and controls. And it ended up being a powerful tool as we were talking through the progress, offering transparency to our internal stakeholders, but also to the board. And it was something, and it is something still to this day that I present on a quarterly basis to really talk about where we are and what progress we're making. Now, Keeping in mind, we have this maturity scorecard, we have this very detailed roadmap, we wanted it in, underpinned by some very critical objectives. And these are things you're gonna hear kind of throughout the discussion today. Um, but first of all, we wanted to drive a threat-focused mindset across security, IT, and the business with a proactive defensive model. Now, that all by itself is a journey and strategy on its own. Um, but we couldn't stop there. And so next, we also wanted to drive operational alignment across the different teams. 
and introducing a battle rhythm to combat those threats. So making this something that we just did consistently and as I mentioned, proactively. We also wanted to drive more cohesion across all of IT. So architecture, engineering, and operations. Those partners were key in what we were doing. And then to drive those outcomes, it all comes down to good program management. And we implemented the Agile model because there was so much work to do over such a short period of time. And we felt it was important to take that approach and to integrate it more closely with our application development teams. And then finally, we needed to consider how our security organization and the way it was structured was really built to reflect our objectives. So there was a lot of critical objectives uh, underpinning a lot of things that we were doing. And I wanna start to dive into some of this. And I think a good place to start really in the journey, um, which is still very much underway, is our organizational design. So Brian, let me first start with you. Um, so let's talk about this org design. I, I know you and I talked quite a bit about this and, and I know first step that you took was really centralizing application security, kind of extracting it from the team, centralizing it. And then it was really to think about how we were merging this offensive and defensive team into one team, kind of cohesive unit reporting to you. Can you share the approach to centralizing that and why it was important, and then some of the thinking that we had as we morphed our design. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great. I think great segue into this, into what we did. I, I would kind of take us back to, you know, it was the conversation you started having with all of us, and it was really around how do we, how do we start to look at our strategy from a proactive, threat-informed sort of mindset, which translated into a proactive threat informed team and a set of capabilities. And you talked about those capabilities of application security, cyber defense. And so we then sort of think, well, what does this mean for us? I mean, what does this actually mean tactically as we start to build it out? How does this shape our culture? How does this shape this mindset? So at the time and still today, you know, we, we focus on controls and the maturity of those controls. And that's really critical. That's really important in terms of, you know, taking a control, maturing it, moving it towards that excellence model or towards the top of the CMMI scale, you know? So as we started to look at what does that mean beyond this is, is really taking a look at that more from a threat actor standpoint, understanding tactics and techniques, making sure that teams really understood that and why teams are, you know, doing what they're doing. And so it's shifting the culture and the mindset of those individuals. And so we, as we, um, you know, as we leverage point in time audits, risk assessments, red teams and penetration tests to improve ourselves against tactics and techniques, we thought about, you know, how do we further move our entire team towards that mindset? And so we wanted to transition. You've highlighted some of these before. So shifting the culture of thinking more about why we do what we do, you know, the configuration within our proactive technology stacks and how do we stop those threat actors? being intelligence-led, actionable outcomes to further protect us from those known threats and really kind of knowing how well our controls perform against those threats, meaning the tactics and techniques that are used, having those insights, super valuable, not only to give us the confidence, but just also the awareness and be able to share that outside, you know, our, our, with, share it outside with external teams. So when we kind of thought about this within it kind of boiled down to this battle rhythm and it's like how do we get into this cadence of taking information as it comes in 
disseminating amongst teams, testing ourselves, and think about this whole life cycle that needs to occur to be threat focused, to have that threat focused mindset and move from threat intelligence all the way through the entire cycle. So you talked about two areas. Two, we started to recognize, you know, from an application security standpoint, we uh, were in a decentralized model when we first started. And we said, you know, we really need to move this to a centralized model. So one, we can introduce independence. We can actually test our applications from a security standpoint being done in an independent way in a consultative matter, but then starting to operationalize our dynamic testing, static testing across our app teams in a way that not only fits within their pipelines and the model that they use, say DevOps or traditional models, uh, but taking that information and, and while we centralize those models, we recognize within our application security group uh, the changes that have occurred. I know Michael will actually talk about this as we step into this a little bit more, but we then we then realize the opportunities with an AppSec to start to introduce new capabilities, and one being breach and attack simulation, which we'll talk about a little bit further, introduction of purple teaming beyond a red teaming capability, integrating our, maybe taking a little bit further from the security testing standpoint and introducing integrated application security testing, plus real-time application self-protection, or coined as RASP, RASP, and then also expanding our web application firewall. So as we looked at our AppSec team and started to centralize it, new capabilities and the way we operated those started really to align to this new sort of model that we wanted to go after, which is a threat-informed mindset. And so as we started to look at then the second portion, which, which is our cyber defense space, we then started to look at new capabilities that would also align to this, and those were actionable threat intelligence. Not only thinking about, you know, IOCs, dark web monitoring, etc., all that information being automated within our SIM, being able to you know, run actions and trigger our IR processes, but starting to move beyond that and starting to conduct analysis of events that are occurring not only within the, our industry, but also external to our industry. So we could leverage that information to start to change the way we operate into kind of that battle rhythm cadence. Um, second to that was also enabling a center-led mindset within the security operations team or the cyber defense team being that they lead the organization in terms of here's threat intelligence, here's what we need to change, and seeing that through the end and starting to build out all the interaction processes across all of our teams, including IT, to further just define or further enhance that threat minds, mindset going for, further. And then ultimately automating all the metrics and reporting out of the, the SOC to where we can start to share all of this knowledge. So as we start to look at those teams, we then said, Wow, there's a lot of synergies that exist between AppSec, offensive security, plus our cyber defensive space, especially purple teaming, breach and attack simulation, vulnerability management, a lot of different synergies. So we decided that it would, from an org structure, threat management combining these teams under one umbrella really made sense for us because we felt the teams could work better together and do so in a way that was definitely new and then reinforced uh, this new strategic standpoint that we had. Yeah, it's, I love the way that you're describing that. Um, and it was, I think it was a lot of fun, actually, as we were making those changes and you were proposing that because there was just so many things that kept cropping up in terms of the opportunities. And I love a lot of those that you've highlighted here. Um, maybe just to kind of drill down into this a little bit further, you know, now that you've got this centralized function kind of working offense and defense, can you now share how it's sort of taken shape and how it's evolved? Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with, let me give you a couple examples. 
The first one that comes to mind, super excited about this space. I, I, I love threat intelligence. And so with threat intelligence, it was for us, it was moving beyond your IOC feeds, your brand monitoring, dark web monitoring, analysis, and kind of moving beyond the automated ingestion, like I mentioned before, and the IR process being engaged with through alerts, et cetera, moving beyond that to the analysis of external events and starting to really understand threat actors, threat actors related to our industry, threat actors related external to our industry, but also the analysis of those events and understanding what event took place, how did it take place, and then leveraging that information and starting to move towards this actionable threat intelligence model and doing so in a way where we socialize this information. So using a combination of, you know, incidents, incidents we can share and incidents that we can, you know, not only incidents that we can share, but also the threat intelligence from an external perspective, we started to stand up these weekly meetings with security. In addition to that, we've expanded that to sharing threat intelligence across our leadership teams and ultimately sharing that all the way up to the board, which is super exciting to actually have that level of conversation. Marlis, you, you having that level of conversation with the board is just, it's phenomenal getting to that point of maturity and getting, you know, sharing that knowledge and insight through all levels across, you know, our business. So from a threat intel standpoint, it's not just sharing the knowledge, but it's also bringing folks to the table to understand what's taking place. And so if I give you an example within security, say for instance, you know, we've heard about CNA Insurance Group and, you know, the ransomware that took place and, you know, the impacts that it had on that organization. Through leveraging that information, we started to understand, you know, what type of ransomware was leveraged. And we were able to take a proactive approach as a perfect example and say, okay, what type of ransomware was used here? Phoenix Crypto Locker, you know, a variant of Wasted Locker. And then taking that information and actually leveraging our own breach and attack simulation software to simulate that particular technique. And so through that, we're able to learn and bring to the table, here's the threat intelligence team, here's the testing and simulation that we've done, and then here's the capabilities that we currently have, but here are some opportunities. And through those conversations, you get folks raising their hands saying, hey, I have another idea. So it, it, it it starts to share threat actors, what techniques they're actually using, and then you get more team involvement, even beyond AppSec, into our, you know, our architecture, engineering teams, IAM teams, GRC teams, et cetera. So this has been a, a big win for us in terms of having this proactive um, you know, threat mindset, and this is just one way that we've accomplished that. Second way I would say is purple teaming, you know, moving beyond red teaming and actually combining both our offensive and defensive teams working together to perform, you know, the uh, attacks on a particular target. So having that knowledge and sharing that knowledge real time as we go through that process allows the attack to take place or defensive team to be able to monitor for that attack. And ultimately you're learning what use cases trigger, what use cases don't within our SIM and where we have opportunities to build out further detection capabilities and ultimately prevention capabilities as well. And then third, I would highlight, I would just say for within our application security space, the combination of the two groups coming together has really enhanced our capability from an application security detection capability and also prevention capability. The synergies between and the knowledge sharing that has been taking place between our AppSec team, which are really ingrained in our, in our application space, they have a knowledge of those apps that's just impressive and they're able to share that knowledge of how the app works what's important and speed up you know that process between 
the defensive team having to get up to speed on what the application does and leveraging this insider knowledge to be able to actually speed up the use case development, what really matters, what log sources we need. And that has been a phenomenal output of this entire, I mean, entire process. And those are, those are just a few, but uh, those, are, those are three that, top, that are top of mind. Well, Brian, just a few things. So you talked about threat intelligence, purple teaming, and application security. And, you know, I would say from my perspective, I have been um, really impressed with how things have taken shape uh, since the organizational change, which, you know, as you described, was so pivotal, pivotal in the way that we've been making um, our progress and, and has really underpinned a lot of the things that we've been doing. Um, something that you talked about that I really want to kind of tap into, the threat intelligence, the ability to have really finished intelligence, things to educate our board, educate uh, also our executive leadership team has been very powerful and it's opened up some great conversations. And I think it has been a great accompaniment to our scorecard and the transparency that we've been offering with that coupled with that threat intelligence, it's just been a powerful combination. So let me ask you another question um, and really about the scorecard, you know, since we're on it, can you talk about how that scorecard work has actually tied into the plan and vision that we've been talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I can just give you, let me give you an example. You know, the, the three areas that we talked about, let's move to another area, let's talk about vulnerability management. So when we think about our scorecard, vulnerability management, really is one of those key domains, right? It's, it's critical for all of us. And so what the scorecard does is it provides a measurement of those subdomains, you know, you say using this cybersecurity framework, identify, detect, protect, et cetera. Uh, you get into vulnerability management was one of those subdomains. What the scorecard does is it measures that and says, you know, hey, here's a vision that we want to get to. The end state is this. So I'm going to give you that example would be, well, we'd like to take our vulnerability scanners and we want to, actually start doing automated remediation, not automated remediation, but say the assignment of the vulnerabilities to particular owners for remediation. And so how it really kind of ties to that scorecard is our progress against that scorecard, that vision gets broken down into quarters and we're able to measure ourselves across that quarter and then provide transparency in terms of how we're progressing over time. So what that enables us to do is kind of really outline that vision, you know, and if I tie that back to application security and also our SOC, and tying you know, threat management together, you know, that vision for us looks like a centralized governance model where we're taking the vulnerabilities that are identified in our SAS DAS scans or application security testing process, tied that to security hub findings or configuration issues within AWS, or even you know, tying that back to our, our, uh, you know, our scanners and then providing that centralized view for all of it and not having these silos. So bringing the teams together, bringing the governance models together, the actions that we take on it together, and then be able to provide that transparency to the scorecard uh, is is how, how we approach it. And it's been been great. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, breaking down the silos, I think, has just been the most important thing. And when you think about all of the different areas that you've been talking about, you know, what I keep hearing thematically is how much everything is so intertwined. And then having those, you know, groups come together, everything work together, it's it's really powerful. Well, Brian, thanks for, for sharing a lot of that information on the, the function and the organizational design in that detail. You know, Michael, I'd like to kind of get your take on this and um, ask you a couple questions. So, um, first of all, I know you've been working with many of the application teams. 
you know, first of all, how has that process gone? And if you could also share a little bit about what's gone well, maybe what surprised you, good or bad. Thanks. No, overall, it's gone very well. Um, as you know, uh, information gathering is core in any project within an information security department. And that rule proved true here again. Uh, back when I started working at CSA, one of the many challenges I tackled was getting an understanding of how each of the application teams work and what their perspective was on security. And my goal for doing that was to, to get each of those development teams to a place where security testing wasn't just a checkbox in a release chain, as well as to change the posture of security in general within those groups. And I've been surprised at how well-received that partnership change has gone for most of the teams. In about a year, we've gone from zero to active collaboration on how we can make security testing more efficient and effective with, within most of those development groups. And uh, back to what was uh, said earlier, by operating as a centralized and independent group, we are able to ensure we can consistently push that application security envelope, and that enables enables us to be seen as a partner in the delivery of patients and not just a checkbox, like I said. You know, and one thing I'm going to add that you're not saying, but I'm going to say it for you, that I think the audience would also appreciate knowing um, is your key role as being an educator. Um, you and your team, I think part of that engagement that I think has been really powerful has been your ability to really talk through what you're seeing. It isn't just, hey, zing, you know, here's what we found. It's, this is why this is important. This is why you should care about this in terms of the testing you're doing. And I think that sort of personal interaction and the investment that you've taken uh, has really contributed to that success. So, you know, definitely appreciate everything you said, but I, I did have to add that in there because uh, I know you're a humble guy and you're not going to add that, but I think that's so important. <laughs> And even the dog uh, agrees with me that I love virtual conferences because it means, guys, that you are seeing the real life of what really happens in terms of the background. And so I'm sure we're going to get someone to settle that, that participant down. But we've got to have some fun stuff in this session, right? So, Michael, um, now that we've got uh, that, that sort of... Uh, you know, other opinion coming in and, and leaving here. Um, let me ask you another question. He's a fan. <laughs> so another area of maturity focus has been the development and use of the breach and attack simulation platform, otherwise known as BAS. Can you talk a little bit about that and how it's transformed the work that you're doing? Sure. Uh, in one word, significantly. Um, so for those that don't know, in short, breach and attack simulation, also called BAS, it's a newer way of security testing that often leverages the MITRE attack framework. And what the framework does, it enables us to test our security control implementations. So the implementation of breach and attack simulation has changed uh, our application security groups work to a large degree, uh, specifically in what the attack surface looks like, uh, because with BAS, we're evaluating not just how well our security controls detect and or prevent our attacks. What we're also looking at is how well our implementations of those controls have been done. 
another big difference uh, with breach and attack simulation is how you evaluate the scope of the security assessments. Uh, for example, you're not just testing your endpoint protection on one implementation of a server. You need to evaluate how broadly and completely it's been deployed throughout the network. And I also want to restate uh, part of my previous uh, answer um, of operating as a centralized and independent group because that's been key to breach and attack simulation. Uh, because with MAS, the subject under test is different than traditional security testing that we all know and love because you're now security testing the security department itself. And as everybody in security knows, security engineers are very proud of their skill sets and that often comes with big egos. And so that's been a new and interesting challenge for the group. Egos, passion, I, you know what, I, yeah. I, I think that we know that's sort of holistically kind of a, a trademark maybe of just IT in general, but uh, security, I mean, certainly proud individuals. And I love that kind of thought about, you know, I always think about security, testing security, who's watching the watchers kind of thing. And and maybe with that question, I'll, I'll turn to you, Randa, because, you know, assessing the security of your own department has been, you know, a really big major area of focus. And so, Randa, let me ask you, you know, you're in charge of the Security Operations Center, the SOC, and vulnerability management. And I know we've begun to use BAS in a few ways to help in the work that your team's doing. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm happy to. I love talking about the great team and all the valuable work that they've been um, doing. BAS is integrated with our SIM. It's leveraging from protective um, technology, infrastructure, and applications, which help us to test ourselves against the threat actors' tactics and techniques. We are also begun uh, using mapping out our de detection use cases to MITRE and using breach and attack simulation to speed up that process because our end goal is to have our, all of our use cases mapped to MITRE. Um, for me, one of the most exciting ways we're using breach and attack simulation is by combining threat intelligence and threat hunting um, to proactively search for and respond to attacks that are not detected by the traditional means. Let me explain. Let's say, for example, we receive threat intel for a new variant of a ransomware. We're able to leverage BAS to investigate that particular attack, speeding up our threat hunting activity, and ultimately developing new use cases um, that will then be triggered by our IR, our incident response process in the future. Um, by using detailed threat intelligence and relating it to the anatomy of the attack and the motivations of the threat actor, we can quickly decide what and where to look for the things. Because as you know, at each stage of the kill chain, attackers leave behind digital fingerprints. So by using this hypothesis-driven hunting, we can detect signs of active or residual presence of their activity across our enterprise. And I think overall, the, the biggest benefit from this approach is helping us to drive that threat-focused mindset by shifting how we operate in terms of leading the improvements across the environment. 
you know, Randa, this is such an incredible space that you're talking about here. You know, as, as we've been building through this discussion, you know, talking about so many things, to me, this is where it's all leading because let's face it, you can only hire so many people. And, and really the humans doing the threat hunting, it does take the humans to really start to look through the information and really be able to um, determine what threats are becoming real. And it's only bolstered through you know, great reporting, all of this integration that we've been talking about throughout you know, the discussion. And to me, this has been, I think, one of the, the really key pivot points that we've made in terms of using some of the technology on your team, because, you know, so much of what we, I think we're doing in the past was taking what we knew, what we understood with the great talent you have on your team. And now it's bolstered through using this. And to me, this is so key, I think, for our audience to hear about and really start to dig into. And this is something I encourage the audience to really you know, go after this, start looking at this for yourselves, because, you know, I, here I am just waking up this morning and how is Good Morning America the lead story cyber attacks, right? Now they're talking about, um, you know, the latest that are that are coming up and, and it feels like every day it's the leading story. And of course, we've all known this is the leading story going on. It's just, it's hitting the news and headlines. And so to have these types of, you know, new, um, approaches to threat hunting and really getting focused on the things that are that are real um, and and you know taking that sort of like you said the hypothesis driven you know hunting approach to detect those signs and signals and then using that and then leveraging miter it's it's just such a powerful combination and something I've been so impressed you know with the team so uh, you know with that I, I'd like to kind of pivot this next question and maybe get everybody involved in the you know conversation um, so, you know, with all of this that we've been talking about, it's to me what's been really key is how you've been working together, right? Michael, you talked about Baz, how you've been working with the teams, how you face off with Randa. Randa, you came back in and talked about, you know, how your team's using it. So talk to me a little bit about um, the fact that you two work together quite a bit in your roles. Can you, first of all, share a little bit more, you know, aside from what you've talked about, about how you do work together? You know, that's a very good question. And um, as a leader, you know that when you redo a restructure, it's, it can always be tricky. But I have been so excited about by the response that I've seen from both of these teams. Um, the most obvious benefit uh, for the defensive team is that we're able to use the results of the offensive's pen test to help us create correlation rules in our sim and providing more effective security logging. But I think for me, I, the best collaboration so far has been um, in our ransomware defense. That's what I would think has been the best. What about you, Michael? Um, you know, my, my thought is that it goes back to collaboration. Collaboration is something I think the entire technology industry is waking up that the, for the need to have it and you know, not just security. Uh, the application security group here at CSAA uh, started partnering with the SOC early on, and we made a goal to do it by being data-driven. Um, as Randa stated, cyber defense can use our application security penetration test to enhance our correlation rules in the SIM. Um, by making 
just making cyber defense aware of the penetration tests. We have the opportunity to, to be more finely tuned our defensive posture under very controlled circumstances, and we provide real-time and post-test data back to them to make those modifications. You know, Randa and Michael, thanks for that that set of answers. And I, I think from my own personal observation, you know, being someone who is, you know, seeing this not so much from the outside, I'm obviously part of the organization, but watching the collaboration, watching people, you know, get together and have these conversations. And, you know, I see the pivots happening across the teams. I mean, Security has to be, you know, a cohesive unit where people are working together. Egos are pushed to the side. You're having active conversations. That's what I've been so delighted in seeing um, amongst the team and all of that, you know, knowledge sharing and talent sharing. So it, it's definitely so key. And obviously, you two as just tremendous leaders have really been, you know, key to that. So definitely, you know, I, I think it's so important what you're calling out here. It, you know, Michael, let me ask you a, a question here. I know you were here when Baz first rolled out. Um, obviously, we're talking about now today, things are going very well, but can you share some of the initial challenges that you saw at the beginning? Sure thing. Uh, one of the initial challenges, honestly, was making sure we had proper collaboration uh, from everybody that needed to be involved. While the advances in simulation software have enabled us to gain more value from having Collaboration, you have to get everybody to the table first. And this goes back to the point you made on cohesion. Uh, once you have that, uh, it's incredible and you gain a lot of value. Uh, for example, uh, when threat intelligence learns of a new or increased risk from a threat, such as ransomware, uh, we can rapidly test our controls through simulation. This then creates a traceable risk evaluation where we can follow that data from awareness of the threat to the testing of the threat. Yeah, so powerful. Yeah, no, I, thanks for that. And Brian, you know, again, I wanted to get everybody involved in this question. And obviously you were also, you know, there at the beginning as, as Baz rolled out. Can you share some of your experience um, from your perspective? Yeah, I think I'll add on to what Michael said. You know, that collaboration with the different groups really makes a difference. And I'll, I'll share maybe a little bit different perspective. And I would say, you know, thinking of the groups overall. So you have, you know, your architecture, engineering uh, teams and say your protective technology stacks, identity access management, GRC. I mean, across the board, all of security. The more that you ramp up threat intelligence, the more you ramp up breach and attack simulation, uh, the output is more work. Um, you know, the battle rhythm needs to increase. So that cadence with which you have kind of the inputs and outputs uh, does impact the teams. So the kind of having those conversations with the leaders across those teams and having that buy-in as to how important it is when we, you know, start to conduct these sort of efforts, the, that workload being becoming prioritized is critical. So, you know, I, I would definitely say that that's really key to being successful when it comes to breach and attack simulation is, is that cadence of that work and just setting those priorities, priorities and expectations up front and getting that buy-in. And uh, that, that's, uh, that, that's my perspective uh, from, from this particular effort. It's been key. Yeah, I think that buy-in, bringing people in at the beginning, you know, as you said, Michael, it's, it, it's just this sort of incredible moment where, you know, hey, you're setting the expectations, you're letting people know what's going on, you're bringing them together. 
it, it's great. And, and, you know, it's interesting what we've talked about so far, and I, I want to pivot a little bit, but maybe to kind of, you know, uh, create some structure here before I kind of, because you're going to see a, a strong pivot in this next question. We've been talking a lot about, okay, how is security working within security? How is offensive and defensive working together? How are we working outward to the rest of IT? Okay, what's another key group? It's our third line of defense. It's our audit partners. And so, Brian, I, I want to kind of ask this question of you. So we partner a lot with audit. Um, anyone that knows me knows I am a strong advocate that the partnership that security has with audit they are essentially probably our strongest partners when it comes to the work that we do because they're all about control effectiveness. So are we. Um, so with that, you know, in mind, and we've been talking a lot about control effectiveness really thematically throughout this whole conversation. Can you share some of the ways that um, we are intending to share this data in the future with our partners in third line? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll kind of touch on just my initial perspectives uh, from an audit, audit process related to BAS. When I think about the audit process, you know, the test of design, test of design and, and the test of effectiveness of a control, you know, when that's being done, it's being done against our procedures in terms of how we operate that control. You know, they sample the evidence, et cetera. We've all been through this. Um, but it's not related to threats per se or a tactic and technique in, in terms of how effective that control is it actually stopping a threat actor. So as we start to use breach and attack simulation to conduct that testing, uh, this is where you know our maturity level, I mean, from a, just an organizational perspective is increasing significantly. We're testing ourselves, being able to report against it. And then ultimately we wanna be transparent with that data. So this is a journey for us. It's a journey in terms of us sharing this information upward through committees, including audit. But most importantly, it's really about sharing how how do those external um, to having that kind of deep understanding of the MITRE attack framework and how we tie this information to it, it's it's getting, how should they think about it? So for us, the way we're thinking about it is we really need to scope it. Not all tactics and techniques apply to all environments. So we're looking at this from a scoping perspective and then trying to actually tell that story. Here's what really matters. Here's how we're doing. And this is how we're approaching it. We're still on that journey. Uh, but our intention is to start to share this information out uh, through committees, up through audit, et cetera, to start to paint this other picture of how well do we, how well do our controls really perform, you know, against true threat actors, the tactics and techniques that are known today. And so that's, that's where we're at. That's the journey. So more to come. Yeah, definitely more to come. And I know you and I have talked very recently about the fact that, you know, we've been tracking maturity on our scorecard. We want to add risk. And soon we want to add in our reporting the ability to respond and react to certain threats, right? And using the MITRE framework in doing that and being able to communicate that in a way that is consumable, but it's very powerful. Um, and maybe just one example I would share with the audience is the fact that, you know, you and Michael came to um, our one of our committees that we have, which includes um, the risk uh, audit, compliance, and legal privacy partners. And when you demoed BAS and talked about you know, some of the output, some of the work that you all have been doing um, broadly in the space, but also specific to BAS, you know, it was interesting in that same conversation, you, you, you know, presented at the front end of the, the meeting, you had presented the recent attack on CNA insurance. 
and what they faced. And then when you did the demo, you said, and oh, by the way, through this platform, this is how in taking that same attack, this is how our systems responded. And I remember, you know, you could see people on the, the screens, you could see their faces of, oh, wow, this is really transformative. Like we're getting answers real time and things, questions that, you know, lurking in the back of their minds were able to answer. So it, it was really powerful. Um, and like you said, it's a journey. Uh, we're being very transparent with the audience. We're still working on the user reports with, um, with audit, but it's definitely something that's a strong priority and certainly something, you know, I think we all encourage um, in terms of that transparency and, and, you know, providing that information. Again, another, uh, I think, powerful output to Baz that, you know, can help bolster the security program um, in terms of not only transparency, not only where you're at, but also what you may need. Right. So definitely have a lot of different options there. All right. Well, Brian, so last question to you, and, and it's not the last question. I've got a secret question at the end, but but last question, big one to you is, so given all the points shared today, um, how do you see threat-informed defense really driving the strategy? Yeah, great question. So how I see it, well, let me start with just strategy in general. So, you know, when we think about, you know, risk management plays a huge, you know, plays a huge role in, um, in our strategic, but not only risk management, you know, audit findings, incidents that take place, you know, looking at the risk register out of risk management and really understanding our business objectives overall. And all those play a key role. But what's really critical here is what we've been talking about is that threat informed defense, being proactive with threat intelligence, being actionable, that starts to play a big role, especially when you combine threat intelligence with the actions that need to take place, combined with breach and attack simulation that give you the details in terms of how the controls are operating and where we need to potentially pivot. So as you go through your annual you know, process for building out a strategic plan, where the threat intel and BAS play is that pivoting. And it's we're having more conversations around, I would say more quicker conversations around, do we need to make a quicker pivot? And I think that's great because we can actually pivot our strategy if we need to, based on what we're seeing in the industry, based on how we understand our controls. And so I'd say the biggest difference is that pivoting moment and the ability to change. And that's uh, that's critical. So I would say that's really what comes to mind. And then second to that, I would say from a strategic standpoint, one of the things I keep thinking about is, you know, if you look at risk management in general, you know, the risk analysis models that exist, let's take a you know, basic impact times likelihood. If you look at control strength or control resistance using the FAIR model, I think the ability to tie your detection and prevention capabilities to controls and tie that to your risk analysis framework, the output is going to be a, an intensely different conversation when it comes to risk management. So definitely dreaming a little bit, but I know it's on the horizon and I know we're, we're working towards it, but I would say that's, a, that's something that I'm pretty excited about. Thanks for that. Yeah, I'm excited for it too. I, I love you know, what you said there about the pivot. Because I think, you know, like I mentioned, right, the news is changing every day. Everything that we're getting from our threat and tell, what you're just seeing basically in the news media, every threat that we're getting and, and what we're, it, you can't do it all. So what is it that you should be focusing on and how is that informed by our existing control sets and, and having that sort of powerful pivot and then being able to communicate it 
in that sort of risk management way. I, to me, these are just such powerful combination of things that are really going to lead us, I think, into a, a much more informed set of conversations and decisions um, and really our strategy in the long run. So definitely, you know, appreciate all of your input there. And, you know, what I'll say here, and I'm, I'm going to just kind of wrap up and, and really thank the audience for joining our discussion today. Um, hopefully you got a lot out of this. I will tell you this group here and by this group here also representing um, CSA Insurance Group and the security team. We are extremely passionate about the fact that we are part of a security organization that is part of a bigger, you know, security sort of consortium, right, around the world, all of you, and we are all fighting a common enemy. And so we don't think that our strategy is something that should be secret. It is evolving. Um, and we're definitely interested in not only sharing that and being you know, teachers, but also learning and hearing your questions and comments because we're still on our journey. We're still learning from many of you in the industry. Um, so with all of that and thanking the audience for being here and, and really expressing that passion, I do wanna, this is my little surprise question for the group before we move to Q&A. And because I always think it's fun to ask, right? You know, when I woke up and I looked at the news, again, I said that this morning and I turned to my husband and I said, oh boy, security industry, you know, it's just more pressure, right? So. With that pressure, I guess the question is, what keeps you in the security game? So Brian, I'm gonna ask you first, what keeps you in this? Um, sure, you know, what comes to mind first is the ever-changing, just the changing landscape. It continues to evolve, which requires you to be a continuous learner, which fits right into my wheelhouse. I mean, I love learning. It's what gets me up every day uh, and keeps me really excited. But I would say those are second to really the first and foremost, and that would be security as a business enabler. You know, looking at business objectives and seeing security provide value and in helping the organization grow and the delivery of those services to the organization. I mean, that's, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, you, know, you get to leave that, not leave it, but you know, you walk away going, wow, we've delivered something powerful here. So that, that keeps me in the game. All right, thanks, Brian. Michael, how about you? Sure. Um, I'll echo uh, part of uh, Brian's answer. Uh, the continuous learning aspect is huge for me. Um, but I'll also add that it's the breadth and the depth. Uh, with security, you have to look at the entire picture, the whole IT landscape, and not just one piece. And for me, that's appetizing. Thanks. All right, Randa, to you. What do, what's keeping you in the game? Well, of course, they they uh, took my lifelong learning uh, line, but I think what keeps me in the game is I thrive in making things better, and um, this the passion of the leadership and the teams really keep me in the game because everyone is passionate about making CSAA more secure. Yeah, I you know what. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for letting me kind of pop that in there. And, and what I'll wrap up with is that definitely everything you guys said, and, and I'll kind of tap into what you just said there, Randa, about the passion. For me, working with people that really are working for the greater good, I, I love working with people like that, right? They're passionate. They get up in the morning and their job, yes, you're paid to do a job, but the job you're doing is hard. There is a lot of pressure 
but it's for the greater good. And I, I just love working with people like that. I feel very fortunate and I'm very glad you guys could join me today. We interrupt this broadcast for, yes, another break. Here's a quick episode of Cyber Snacks While You Wait. Let us know what you're snacking on, and we'll be back in a bit.